You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. to Twibbly, or this week was way better last year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, he tastes so good, cats ask for him by name. It's Jeff McLarge-huge. That's me. That is you. As large and as McHuge as I can get. <laughs> as McHuge as they want to be. I'm the McHugest of the huge Mickers. Earl, you, you are doing, so big. <laughs> I'm so very, very large. Absolutely huge. All five foot three and a half. <laughs> yes. You know what I did last weekend? Something I haven't really done in a, in a long time. No, what's that? Pandemic's notwithstanding. Uh, no, I went to a flea market. Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess it's, it's I guess it's that season, isn't it? Yeah. Or I, I, haven't, I haven't been to one in a long time, so. Yeah. After the movie Mall Rats, we now affectionately all refer to them as the Dirt Mall. The Dirt Mall. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I went to a Dirt Mall out in Seekonk, right next to the Seekonk Speedway. And nice. yeah, that was a, a bit of a culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> I went to the flea market on one very auspicious day up here in Derry, where I live. There was a flea market that had been going for years and years and years and years and years. It had a big building kind of in the back of it yeah. with an indoor component and everything. It sort of kind of got taken over by some Chinese guys who were selling fake Prada bags. So like vinyl bags, they were gluing the labels on for Prada and Coach and other stuff and selling them for like 10 or $15. And like 15,000 people a day were coming to this. Yeah, we're coming to this like rattle trap flea market that was just packed with vinyl bags that were brought up every week from New York City. Now, I'm no expert on the law. I think that might be like really badly illegal. It was. <laughs> and what happened, well, ultimately what, what got it shut down was the popularity of the place. Right. Because there were so many people, the owner of the flea market who lived in Florida got fined by the police for every weekend because they had to post two policemen to direct traffic. Oh. He was paying like $3,000 a week, but it didn't matter because he was making 10 times that much money. Right, right. Of people paying 50 cents to go in and park. Yep. And uh, it was a lawyer from either from Coach or from Louis Vuitton who came up and inspected the the bags without them knowing who he was. And then he sued the he sued the guy and and that ultimately ended up closing it. It's a giant gas it's a big gas station now. They like tore it down. And, oh wow! Yeah, I went there when it was at the height of its madness uh, when my kids were little and stuff yeah. and walked all the way through it and I walked out and I had the idea for ten stories, ten short stories. Oh right, you have that book called Fleas that that I wrote called Fleas. Yeah, and it's all based on that that one trip into that one crazy crazy flea market. Oh, okay, and that's uh, yep. is that available on Amazon? It can be purchased on Amazon. Yeah, Kindle and in paperback form there you go look for the book fleas hey thanks for the free advertising yeah. i didn't wasn't planning that 
Oh, appreciate uh, that. Yeah. So anyway, at this dirt mall that I went, I went to, my friend Lauren was trying to buy books, and they were, you know, just a dollar a piece. Like her husband had like walked way ahead. You know, I was just waiting for Lauren. She was like, "Do you? He's got my money. Do you have any money on you?" I was like, "Yeah." So I pulled out a twenty and I tried to pay for the books. And the woman like starts yelling at me. She's like, "Don't you have anything smaller?" And I was like, "Uh, no, I don't." She's like, "I'm not a bank, okay? You gotta break the bills at like the bank, and then you can bring it because you give that to me." She's like yelling at me. It's like you know. I don't know how you do on like customer service, but I'm telling you, you're not doing well here. Right. And like the outside of the books, this woman was also selling like canned peaches or canned <laughs> canned pears yes. for like fifty cents. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, like, what station in life are you at whenever you're at a flea market and you see canned pears and you're like, you know what? I need this. I- that's what yeah. I have to take home. I yeah. need to look at these. And you know what the best part is? Is that these cans, they hiss when you shake them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, honey, I'm all from the flea market. Hey, I brought you some pears. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's a, there's a whole weird like subculture of, of sort of flea market ting, either as a customer or as like a, a vendor. Right. The one, the big one they have up here still, it's a great place to go if you need like the exhaust bracket for a 1974 Chevy Monza. Right, because the the dude, somebody there is bound to have it. I love watching the haggling. You know, that's forty five dollars. You take forty, yeah. You know that kind of a thing. Right. I would always get in my friend's ears like, right, everything in that box is ten cents. Ask him if he'll take nine. <laughs> I sh- I should probably try and, and and get out to one this year. It's been it's again with the pandemic. It was weird last year, and yeah. I'm still not right from it. So, uh, being around a lot of people is still weird for me. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit. All right, let's get into the show. But uh, again, before we start the show proper, I have my amazingly popular and always well-received trivia question for you. In the United States, there are 50 states. And along with those 50 states, there are 50 state capitals. And every single one of those state capitals has a McDonald's in it. Except for one. Which state? Capital does not have a McDonald's in it. Which state capital does not have a McDonald's in it? Uh, geez, I, you know what? I don't know. That's a good one. I'll tell you at the end of the show if I figure it out. I got 50 states to choose from. so Yeah, yeah you get a 2% chance of getting it right by guessing. There's a very good chance you're going to get 49 incorrect guesses. <laughs> Next week's trivia question. Where the hell do you get these questions from? <laughs> All right, but this is the week beginning July the 19th in... If my records are accurate, uh, it is your turn to start. So, uh, since it's my turn to start, we'll start on July 19th. July 19th, 1909. Cleveland shortstop Neil Ball completes the first modern unassisted triple play in Major League Baseball history. Wow, zippity doodah, Jeff. What does that mean? In a 6-1 to one win over the Boston Red Sox. Now, this doesn't sound like a big deal. Triple, uh, what, well, like, what's an unassisted triple play? Right. Let me state for the record first that there have only been... 15 unassisted triple plays in Major League Baseball history. So in 115, 120, almost 120 years. Yeah, and they play like eight bazillion games per year, right? Right. Yes. All right. So there's only been 15. So this so, is pretty so rare. Yeah. Okay. So what is it? Yeah. Explain this to me. And an unassisted triple play is when the, the player, in this case, the shortstop. It's typically the shortstop either catches a line drive or pop fly is able to tag a runner who's passing him by. Okay. And then be able to, to tag a runner who's left his base, like third base for home, but has to come back because he made the catch. Right. And he's able to catch, tag, and tag, make all three outs in, in effectively one hit. Ooh. Yeah, it makes for a fast game if that happens. Yeah, so yeah. 
Well, that's the end of the inning. Uh, one swing. <laughs> one swing down. One swing, one guy, yeah. If that was me, so I'd be crazy. like, hey, coach, I'm I'm just going to go home now, all right? Because uh, you don't need me anymore. I think I pulled right. my uh, my end of the cord. I think it can only work, too, if if you have bases loaded because you're f- the hit is going to force the run from first to second, second to third, and third home yeah. as the runner goes from home to first, right? You're going to get the second to third runner after you make the catch, and then third base runner is going to have to run back and tag up before he can go. <laughs> And you can get that guy too. So I was like, there's just a very small number of conditions that make it possible to do a, an unassisted. Who was play. the team that got this pulled on them? Like who, who was, uh, who was it? That? Was the, it was the Boston Red Sox. They were the ones that. Oh lost. my God. The Red Sox were at bat for that one. So yep. the Red Sox must have been, all right, all like cocky. Like, all right, bases are bloated. Let's get, oh, right. damn it. Right. Yeah, they're all they're all singing in the outfield. They're singing "Sweet Caroline" or whatever that was in 1909, and or "Dirty Water," right? And and all of a sudden, bing, and the inning's over, and they lose six to one. Yeah, what I what I miss? You missed the world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was quick. Unassisted triple play. This is a kind of a neat neat piece of baseball uh, trivia. So I like the baseball stuff. I don't know why it's super fun. All right, so moving on to July the 20th. Here's something a little, you may not have heard of this, okay? This is kind of uh, obscure. But on July 20th, 1969, man walks on the moon. Yeah, the, the, the Apollo 11 moon landing is July 20th, 1969. As some people describe it, Stanley Kubrick directed <laughs> a fake moon landing on a studio, and then they released the film on can, television. Can I just... Can yeah, I say the... something? I just want, I want to get this on record, okay? I want <laughs> I want this to live forever on the internet. Bill with one L says out loud, I am so freaking bored with conspiracy theories. If yeah, anybody me ever approaches me with this sentence, that's what they want you to think, I shut them right out. I don't, nothing. Everything you say is stupid and suspect. Anyway, man yes. on the moon. Yep, I'm right yep. there with you. Man on the moon. Aldrin Armstrong walk, and it's one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. Yep. That was like a misnomer. Like, he, he misspoke. He was supposed to say something else. He was supposed to say well, one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind, Where, which is great that he's like, he, he didn't bring his index cards with him or something. Well, it would have been a hard time. He's like, oh, my, I can't find my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Buzz, what am I supposed to say? Yeah. Feed, feed me the lines. Buzz is standing off camera with cue cards. He's, he's just randomly punching things because, you know. Because it's Buzz, yeah. That's what he does. Yeah, so that was amazing. It's hard to believe that I was alive when that took place. Yeah. It's always one of those weird things. It's like my mom would tell me like, oh, yeah, we watched it together. I'm like, mom, I was literally days old. Yeah. <laughs> All I remember was like blurry colors, I think, if that. Yeah, that's so crazy. I was actually just talking about it with like a, a friend of mine that he's like at least 10 to 15 years behind on technology he's one of those people he got his first computer probably like eight years ago that's what we're dealing with right you go to his house and he's really impressed to show you his cordless phone look at this i don't have to be attached to the wall i can like go from room to room as long as i don't go too far yeah Yeah, no he's super i have a color television have you ever seen one of those he yells at me all the time he's like why don't you just get a landline dude i'm like uh because it's 2021 mostly (laughs) <laughs> but he was talking about the moon landing and he was like, I, it's just weird to me that we could do that. Think about the way computers are now. And he goes, we did that in 1969, basically with without computers. And I was like, here's the thing. The math is still the same. The only thing that changes with computers is the speed at which it could process it. But the math is still the same. Right. The math isn't any different. That's why when you go through high school and college, they still make you take advanced math. Right. 
because God knows you may have to calculate the trajectory to get a rocket to the moon and not have a computer to do it for those five people on Earth. Right. The rest of us have to stop suffering through calculus. But and it wasn't like they thought about it on Thursday and launched on you know Sunday. Right. You know, this is a, a decade-long pro, uh, project. Yeah, right. I can hear Kennedy. We do not do these things because they are easy. <laughs> we choose to do them because they are hard. I want a man on the moon by next Tuesday. <laughs> I am a donut. <laughs> the, what's funny is about the Kennedy accent, nobody talks like that except for them and the guy from Jaws. <laughs> That's about yeah. it, yeah. Yep. All right, so moving on to the 21st. What do you got? July 21st, 1987. Oh, I remember that year very well. Actually, I remember um, this particular factoid very well, too. The debut album, Appetite for Destruction by Guns N' Roses is released to the public. And I think I bought it a day or two later on cassette. Oh, okay. Yep. It was the record that has is still, uh, it, it became the best-selling album of all time, best-selling first album of all time, and sold like 30 million copies, which is a, that's a ton of records. Yeah, sure is. And I guess when you leap out of the gate that fast with a record that's that decent, it, sophomore slump turns into junior laziness and senior dropout and then... Turns into Chinese democracy. Chinese democracy, yeah. yeah. yeah which is which is a, a two and a half star album. That's fine. Yep. Nothing wrong with it. Just like two thirds of Use Your Illusion 1 and 2, yep. which is one good record hiding underneath one and a half bad records. Yeah, you can make a really decent album out of... Like everything after Appetite for Destruction, you can make a yep. you can make a solid album out of the rest of the material. Guns N' Roses was like the they were the last like they were the last the, the biggest of the dinosaurs right they were the last dinosaurs before the Nirvana comet struck right we're from that particular lineage of like hard rock that wasn't super hair metal and it wasn't heavy metal like Iron Maiden or Judas Priest or whatever but was like radio hard rock that had a lot of cross-genre appeal. Yeah, they didn't dress like heavy metal dudes. Right. You know, they didn't have that whole like denim and leather thing going for them. They had, they had, they, yeah, they kind of had their own look. They were a lot closer to being like, the, compare like the Ramones to Yes at the same, at 76, right? Yes is in capes and stuff right. and Ramones are like in jeans and t-shirts and Converse All-Stars and they had that sort of aesthetic where they they had a little bit of glammy stuff to them with the hair a little bit of the hair and things but they didn't they were nowhere near like Poison or Motley Crue or any of the other bands that were like that right yeah and they definitely hewed towards songs that they were controversial Night Train was controversial and um Mr. Brownstone so all they're all good songs and they're all controversial songs about like the hard life in LA and yep. drugs and, and stuff. And that just did, wasn't on Poison Records and it wasn't on Molly Crew Records and it wasn't on Dawkins Records and it wasn't on the other yeah, stuff. Yeah, they, would, and, they um, were dangerous and that that's what their appeal was, yeah. Yeah, and they caused riots at some of their shows and, and then things got strange when they toured with Metallica and they kind of became a parody of themselves for a little while and November Rain came out. <laughs> if you go all the way back, like I've gone back recently and listened to Appetite for Destruction and it, it's a solid record. Yep. It really is. It's a good, it's a good record. Yeah, I... I, um, I went back and I listened to the, the song November Rain literally just like three days ago. And I was talking about it with a guy at work and he was like, oh, that song. And I was like, you know what? The first half of that song is I understand what you're saying. But that second half with the guitar solo and all that and the yeah, yeah the, the, the crescendo. Yeah, the part that's good. Yeah, the crescendo of that. <laughs> the five minutes of it that's good. Yeah, the crescendo of that song is amazing. Yeah. I think it's like almost hilarious that, you know, Guns N' Roses' big picture has one great album, you know? Yeah. Appetite for Destruction. 
You know, after that, they re-released, like, a suicide, and then they had the the Lies stuff on there, too, you know, with, like, Use the Lover, all the acoustic stuff. Yeah, GNR Lies. Yeah. I have that record, yeah. Yep, and then, and then they came out with Usual Illusion 1 and 2, which they made everybody wait forever, and it was wholly disappointing. I, I like a lot of the songs on those albums, but, you know, compared to Appetite for Destruction, it was a big, you know, step down. And then they came out with the Spaghetti Incident, which was all covers. Yeah, that's right. A bunch of Steve Bader songs and stuff. Yeah. yeah. I don't even remember listening to that one. I, I think I, I think I might have it on CD here someplace, yeah. someplace, but I've never put it in a CD player. Yeah, I just remember so. they did the Misfits song, Attitude. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't even know how, the, how that record kind of came about if those were like contractual obligations they, jeff well i was, I was gonna say like stuff that they, that they covered because they were covering it as part of building the other records and then yeah. i don't know somebody in the band who was like the john entwistle of the band who did all like the greatest hits and stuff for the who records he was like we need a compilation record to get it you know just yep. we're gonna not gonna have any money so the fact that here we are in 2021 there are still people out there that are like just waiting for the messiah to return with yeah. Guns N' Roses, like if they got back together, they're gonna tour and they're all excited about it, and they'll they'll go and they'll show up. It's like it's like a man whose wife left him twenty years ago, and he still like waits by the door every night, knowing just knowing that she's gonna come back someday. Well, it's like I I just saw I don't know a couple man, it was maybe a month ago there was an announcement that they're touring again. They're doing another like they're not doing the Kiss farewell tour thing, but they're doing another tour and they're supposed to come to Boston. They're doing the Rolling Stones farewell tour thing. <laughs> the Rolling Stones farewell. They've been doing a farewell tour since nineteen seventy two. Yep. I don't know. People are still they're still gonna sell out every place they go because the audience for that band is now old and has disposable income <laughs> am i gonna go see him no you know and axel, but an axel rose looks like he's wearing an axel rose mask like a, a cheaply poorly made axel rose mask that he bought at that flea market i was just at he looks like somebody who's, who's at like the town fair in a guns and roses cover band called like appetite for destruction appetite. <laughs> i didn't want to use the record name but yeah you know why they totally would <laughs> or slash and burn or something oh like that oh my god Dude, at the at the flea market, I should have brought this up. There was somebody over there selling like posters of like yeah. advertisements, you know, like advertisement flyers for yeah, yeah. for cover bands. Like nice. like there was a Bon Jovi tribute band called Living on a Bad Name, and they had this like <laughs> this like poster, this you know two foot by three foot size poster that you could buy. Who the hell is gonna? No, come on. <laughs> well, look, you never know if the lead singer's like aunt is going to be at that flea market. Right, right. Oh, my God. Look at that. They've got Tony's band here. I'm going to go put that in my rumpus room. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to July the 22nd, 1959. Ed Wood's opus, Plan 9 from Outer Space Movie, is released in cinemas. I like Ed Wood's movies. You know, I think they're nuts, but they're really fun. Did a lot with not much. Yeah. So Towards the beginning of the pandemic, my friends and I started doing what I called virtual movie nights. Yep. We would all watch the same movie at the same time, and then we would make a bunch of jokes about it in the text window. Yep. It started out with just like my haunted house friends, but then I ended up opening it up to like to everybody, and we watched like a lot of movies, and we would try to watch kind of bad movies because they were more fun to make fun of. Mm -hmm. And Plan 9, from Outer Space was actually on that list. Now, Plan 9 from Outer Space is absolutely legendary in B-movie history, but somehow I had never seen it. You know what? It wasn't the worst movie I had ever seen. It wasn't even the worst movie that we watched with the virtual movie nights. 
Yep. Yeah, yeah Lives of Lamageddon. Uh, <laughs> no, um, there's a reason that this movie is pegged as the worst movie ever, and it's because it was in a book by one of the film critics that took over the show, sneak previews from Siskel and Ebert when they went off to do At The Movies. Yeah. And I can't remember his name. It might have been Leonard Malton. Um, I think it was Leonard Malton in Leonard Malton's book. It was like a book of called The Golden Turkeys. Right. And this was the film that he classified as the golden turkey, the worst film ever made. And in like 1980, when that book came yeah. out, it's, it, there was no home video market. It never showed up on TV unless it was like super late at night on like a, a horror hosted TV show. You know what yep. I mean? So people were like, yeah, it's the worst movie ever made. And then it started coming out on home video. I actually bought, I think I paid 90 bucks to buy it on, on VHS what? when VHSs were first starting to be sold because I wanted to see it. And it was one of the ones that was available. Yep. I, I had to order it from the video oh store. Oh my God. Yeah. yeah I'm crazy that yep. way. Uh, Fool and his money are soon parted. And I bought it. I'm like, all right, this kind of sucks and it looks like it was made for no money it's pretty funny seeing as the movie is in public domain and they can't you shouldn't actually be able to charge for it in the first place right and, and i was like all right well this is kind of dumb and but i've seen like movies that are less entertaining than this oh, right. that had better special effects or whatever like it's known for a bunch of goofy shit like Bella Lugosi died after only shooting some some like B-roll footage, right. so they replaced his character with the chiropractor of the director's wife, <laughs> who was like a foot taller. Yeah, he's like head and shoulders taller than Lugosi, right? And he walks around with a cape in front of his face for the whole film. It's like there's some goofy stuff in there, but for all the for all the goofiness that's in it, like it's it's super entertaining and very weird and fun. You know, I'm glad I knew that piece of trivia about the movie whenever I saw it of the chiropractor taking his place and covering his face up with his you know like he's sneezing or something i'm glad i knew that piece of trivia because i would not have figured out that that's supposed to be the same character <laughs> yeah well i mean like if you remember like the, the way lugosi like his his pictures is him coming out of his house yeah and him like walking out of the woods with his cape on and, but when he comes out of the house he's got a big hat yeah you know and a, like a shawl and then he's like smells a flower and that's that's really it that's all that's there he died not long after that you know my, my favorite like goof about that movie is there's no linear time. Like, it's, some of it takes place in the afternoon, some of it takes yeah. place at dusk, some of it takes place at night, but not necessarily in that order. There's so many, like, little goofy things that are in there, like gravestones falling over yeah. as Tor Johnson's trying to get out of the grave, and the police inspector who scratches his head with his <laughs> right with his pistol. Stuff that stuff that's just dumb. But done because it's done like we gotta get this this thing filmed. I only have five hundred dollars and every minute is costing me ten dollars. Like I have to like make this happen. Can't be unfinished because I can't ask the it was a bunch of uh, like a Baptist church that financed that movie. I can't go back and ask them for any more money because they're going to make me change the plot again. And I can't do that, you know. The plan itself, the plan nine from outer space is so convoluted. It doesn't make any sense. It's like it makes you wonder right, what right. plans one through eight were like. Right, right, right. What, what did you say no to? Plan number one, uh, remote controlled hamsters. Ugh, that's too difficult. Plan number two, sand crabs <laughs> by the bucket full. No. Plan nine, controlling the dead. Yes. All right, let's get on to the 23rd. Ah, July 23rd, 1959, the vice president of the United States under Dwight D. Eisenhower, Richard Nixon, begins a visit to the USSR, which culminates in something called the kitchen table debate where the vice president of the United States and the premier of Russia, Nikita Khrushchev, have a conversation on television broadcast in both countries that compares capitalism and communist economies. And this is right at the time before both countries sort of doubled down on shifting their economy towards the military industrial complex and abandoning the advances that made consumer products possible. There's this amazing part. You can watch this whole thing on YouTube. It's astonishing to watch. Where you can watch Nixon and Khrushchev argue with a translator about the benefits 
benefits of communism and capitalism and how that, that we should be friends and there's we have more in common than we don't than we don't and I bet if we all work together we can solve all kinds of problems because you've got solutions to problems that we can't figure out we've got solutions to problems that you can't figure out and we if we just help each other things will be great for this the u.s actually went and built a house inside of this expo center next to a house that the soviets built inside of the same expo center and khrushchev and nixon go from house to house and they compare like washing machines and <laughs> and stoves and the layout of the house and all of this stuff it's really 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 interesting i'm just picturing this like like comparing almost like a uh like nixon at a tupperware party <laughs> you, you can store all of your fresh vegetables or you, or you just burp the top and it lets out the excess and then khrushchev is like banging his shoe on the table. We will bury you! <laughs> what was kind of funny was like, there's a lot of laughter between the two of them and some of it is like awkward because they're adversarial but they're still able to have this conversation. It's really, really neat. It slices and dices and it truly ends. <laughs> if you buy now, we'll throw in the salad there standalizer. This handy gadget here will scramble an egg right inside of its shell. So it's like, it's, it really is a lot like that. It's really neat and it's totally well worth going to dig up if you can. Ron Popeil as an ambassador to the United States. Right, right. Yeah, and it's, it was so funny. He's like, well, this is a General Electric stove. And Khrushchev is like, well, this is the Karpov Mark 7, which is a ripoff of the General Electric stove that we just <laughs> bought one of and then made our own version of. But it makes you think of a future that could have happened had one or both of our countries not shifted to production for the military. Or if Khrushchev was more into Julian Fries at the time. Right. These are amazing! We, we could have had that future with the flying cars and the... <laughs> orbital space stations that look like big donuts and stuff. I think part of the problem is like Eisenhower sent, he should have gone himself. Instead, he sent the man with the, like a black hole of charisma. I mean, with so little charisma. <laughs> So little charisma, he gets he gets outclassed by the translator that's translating Khrushchev. So this is why the aliens don't come and land on our planet because we get the the kitchen table summit, and then like later on we had the beer summit. It's like come on yeah. guys, or as our pre current president would say, come on man. All right, and on the Ju July the twenty fourth. Uh, in 1938, instant coffee is invented, uh, for, be ah. for better or for worse. And instant coffee is the only thing in the world that tastes like instant coffee. Yeah. It doesn't taste specifically like coffee, and it doesn't taste specifically like anything else, but it tastes like instant coffee. It's a really, really, really strange substance in that it's like you're describing a good cup of coffee to someone, <laughs> but they've never had coffee before, so their frame of reference is limited. Yeah, um, I think I've had instant coffee, like, once, like, when we went camping or something like that i mean coffee technology has come a long way i don't yes you know with coffee just coffee makers and the then later on with the the curing machines and stuff like that almost no real use for you for instant coffee now you know mm -hmm. it's a, it's a well I, I, you know exists. if you're building a survival shelter right yeah. that's <laughs> that's a good place for it because it freeze dried and never goes anywhere right right I'm about to say i mean i mean instant coffee and you, you can easily just use a french press to make coffee but like you said yeah it's it's freeze dried it's got a much much longer and sustainable shelf life never gets stale because it starts off tasting like it already is <laughs> i love that uh stephen wright joke I put instant coffee in the microwave and almost went back in time. <laughs> I think that the appeal of instant coffee, especially in like the 60s and 70s, which seems to be the 70s especially, was when it was, at least in my house, yeah. in my neighborhood, was when it was everybody drank some kind of freaking freeze-dried Folgers or Maxwell House Instant or whatever, was because it was convenient. 
You didn't have to have a coffee percolator. You didn't have, you know, you didn't have to have an expensive coffee drip machine. And, you know, as long as you put enough sugar and powdered cream or whatever other convenience things that you could put in there from space age of consumer products, like, eh, it all tasted kind of bad, but it was better than not having any coffee at all. And as coffee makers got cheap, as Mr. Coffee became a thing, what people could have in their houses. Right. And easier to clean too, right? Does I mean, we're talking about, you know, here we go, like 50s, 60s, 70s. We're actually, you know, we're talking about the time about like the early TV dinners too. Right. You know, around that whole same time is like whenever the, you know, dad goes to work, mom stays home and cleans the house kind of dynamic ended. Right. Yep. Um, so yeah, you needed things to be a little more uh, zip, zip, zip. Let's go. Now we have so much leisure time to do what? Can watch more TV. Yay. All right. And let's wrap up the week on the 25th. What do you got? So this is a great story and, and something to which I was a participant, I believe. Uh, in 2017, sperm counts are described as being halved over the last 40 years by some research that was published in Human Reproduction Update. So that's a journal for apparently for human reproduction. So I don't remember that the issues folded out into a centerfold area of people who were reproducing. Guess not. They might have been. The non-pervosicky kind of like scientists uh, into reproduction that are like really interested in this sort of thing. It was like, oh, reproduction. (laughs) (laughs) I I read this one for the articles. No, you don't. Somebody that's really into mono buys like, you know, spleen monthly. I'm sure you remember when those vans full of like burly dudes went door to door like they did for me. And uh, I was like, I was home on a Saturday and it was like 2016, I guess. And there's a knock at my door and there's two guys in lab coats that stand there. And one of them is already putting gloves on and tells me he's from this study about sperm counts and they have to get a sample because they're getting samples from everybody. What? And I was like, this seems kind of weird. Yeah. No, it's weird. And I, I let him in and they, they had to make sure that the sample wasn't tampered with and didn't get contaminated. So I stood there and talked to one guy while the other guy, like with the gloves on, took a sample from me. I, is weird, this though. just in New Hampshire or something? Because... No, they, they said they went to everybody's houses. They didn't go to your house? Were you not home that day? Uh, Jeff, I think uh, you've been hornswoggled. <laughs> Well, I thought it was weird. You've been hoodwinked. I thought it was weird that these You've been jacked off, Jeff, is what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> that these research scientists came to my house in a late model Chevy Impala with one door that was a different color than the rest of the car. I'm just putting that out there. But I thought that was like a scientist and thing. oil pan cover that's dragging. <laughs> I also noticed my PlayStation was gone when they left, so that was weird. And he made me throw away his gloves. Ooh. <laughs> Anyway, he told me uh, only about half as much usually came yep, out. That's all because of that all because of Mountain Dew. Apparently, there's a conspiracy theory. Mountain Dew lowers your sperm count. I used to drink a a, a heroic amount of Mountain Dew in the '80s and '90s, and people were like that lowers your sperm count. You know, I'm like, I give a shit. You know, better for me if I'm firing blanks. <laughs> production okay so lower sperm counts lead to lower birthdays yeah and that's gonna uh, drag the show down if that happens but for now we're still safe let's do the celebrity birthdays july the 19th 1894 a man by the name of percy spencer is born now so percy spencer by the way what kind of name is percy what the hell i was just gonna say percy yeah well i mean it's 1894 right so yep well so no i mean say that name was probably super masculine yeah, back. I bet. Percy Phineas Mustache Punch. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, whatever. Yeah. So anyway, Mr. Spencer uh, invented the microwave oven. Uh, he was a scientist. He worked for Raytheon. Oh, hey. Yeah, he worked for Raytheon. He was. He stopped for a second. He was in front of the magnetron, which is just an awesome name. It's a. Uh, the magnetron is basically a, a vacuum tube that generates high-frequency radio waves for use in radar. And while he's standing in front of this thing, he had like a chocolate bar in his pocket, and it just started melting. And he was like, well, that can't be good. 
Uh, yeah. Hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> is it hot in here or just my Google cluster? <laughs> What's funny is like, because it's Raytheon, you know that they were trying to build a death ray. Oh, yeah. They're like, hey, hey, Percy, can you go stand over, like, see that X on the floor? Yeah, I don't care if you bring your chocolate bar, whatever. Just go stand <laughs> on the X for a minute. You might feel a little tingle. <laughs> Throw a switch! You know, all popcorn for 35 yards starts to go off. and He was an orphan when he was eight years old, and he never even graduated from grammar school, but he later became the senior vice president at Raytheon and received 150 patents. Well, that's probably because they microwaved him and they felt bad. Yep. Uh, we can't let this guy out of here. He's going to tell people yeah. that we were trying to make a death ray, and all it could do is melt chocolate. I only wanted a chocolate bar. <laughs> Must have been tough that day. Like, you walked around like, I know it looks like I shit myself through the side of my pants. But no, this is a Hershey bar going awry. Yep. All right, next up. Also, I'm sterile now. <laughs> also, also my sperm count's down, according to... <laughs> my, my sperm count is lower than if I, if I drank nothing but Mountain Dew. Yeah. All right, next up on the 20th. All right, July 20th, 356 BCE. Alexander the Great is born. He's all right. His name struck fear into hearts of men. Yeah, yeah, everything I know about Alexander the Great, I learned from the Iron Maiden song of the same name, yeah. Beautifully, that is the most concise and yet accurate biography of Alexander the Great that you can get. You could pass tests with the knowledge contained in that song. I totally did too, except for this one, <laughs> this is one small, like, it's the last line in the song, and it says, he led the way for Christianity. It's like, uh, I don't see that being a thing as he was born almost 400 years before the birth of Christ was, uh, well, was a thing. It's the, you can make the argument that he sort of pushed Western culture into the into the Persian Empire, and which helped the Romans kind of do that after the Greeks had fallen. And it's because of the Romans that you end up with Christianity. But again, that's just arguing historical semantics. Yeah, I'm, I'm, call, I'm calling BS on that one. Bruce, you messed up. Nope, I'd argue that that's correct. Whatever. So. Favorite line is uh, battle-weary marching side by side. Alexander's army line by line. They wouldn't follow him to India. Tired of the combat pain and the glory. And that's kind of where he died. Died of fever. He died of fever in Babylon. <laughs> He died of fever on his way, yeah, getting ready to try and raid uh, India. Yep, I, I know that line from the song, too. Uh, next up on July the 21st of 1924, American comedian Don Knotts. Uh, I know him from The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff. I mean, I mean uh, you can argue what he's most famous for, either on The Andy Griffith Show as Barney Fife, or late in his career on Three's Company as Mr. Furley. I think he was on Andy Griffith for longer. That show ran for a million years, it seemed like. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to guess like it's a generational thing, like who would know him from what. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's probably yeah, true. Yeah, super, super funny guy. You know, always played like a, like a, almost like a pipsqueak kind of like coward, like whenever he was on the Andy Griffith show he used to keep the bullets for his gun in his pocket rather than in his gun he didn't want any part of it I remember him like I said from the Ghost of Mr. Chicken and the Shakiest Gun in the West he had like a career doing sort of I don't know if they were Disney live action movies but they were like some of them were, were yeah. kid oriented some of them were right Yeah, like kid oriented um, live action movies that were funny yeah like the Apple Dumpling Gang and stuff like that he also I, I remember his last film was Pleasantville where he played the sort of wish granting TV repairman that he was like 94 years old or something when he was in that and he he's the one who got all the characters into the Pleasantville TV show. 
Right. Yeah, well, that, yeah, I think I saw that, or at least it sounds familiar to me, yeah. And he was good yeah, at it, too. And there was a lot of movies that they used to show on like on the UHF stations, like The Ghost of Mrs. Chicken, The Incredible Mr. Limpet, where he played a, a cartoon fish. Yes, who like destroys a German submarine. Yeah, yeah fun fun guy. You can't, you can't help but uh, but not like the guy. That's, that's one of those people that's like, oh, I don't like Don Knotts. It's like, shut up. It being difficult. All right, next up. Next up is uh, July 22nd, 1948, a writer named S.E. Hinton may not recognize her name, but she wrote a series of books that are in like every middle school library and have been in every middle school library since they came out. She wrote The Outsiders. She wrote Rumblefish, Tex. That was then. This is now. A handful of other books like Hawk's Cove and some other stuff. The vast majority of what she's known for are those first five books. Those are all like standard like high school books to read, or at least they were whenever I was in high school. I remember reading Rumblefish. And I think we read text too. I'm not sure. I know I read all of them in, in middle school and high school. And if it wasn't the birth of young adult literature, it was very close to the birth of it from those books. The Outsiders was written in a way that was mature, but still ex- super accessible for the audience. It was well-written and well-put-together and dealt with like themes that kids understood that from that age bracket. And she knew them because when she wrote that book, she was 15. Wow. She published really? The Outsiders at 60, 16 years old. Yeah, became an international bestseller like when she was 16. She was in high school. That's... Can't even graduate from high school yet. She was a bestselling author. She had two books out by the time she graduated. Yeah, and those, I mean, those are, um, it's not like they're kids' books, you know? I mean, they're relatively, they're short. They're not, they're novella length. They're relatively short, yeah. but they're well, well, well put together. They're books that I gave my kids as they turned. 10 and 12 and 13 and stuff. I gave them each a set because I liked them so much when I was their age and they really associated themselves with the characters in the books. She's still writing and I guess, and she's still out there. She's... All right, next up on July the 23rd, 1771, a man by the name of Robert Gibbon Johnson, a much more masculine name than uh, than Percy, apparently. I like that his middle name is Gibbon. Yeah, like a big killer monkey. <laughs> so what did Robert Gibbon Johnson do? Uh, so Robert Gibbon Johnson is a American horticulturist. Ah, horticulture. You can lead a horticulture, but you can't make her think. Uh, (laughs) He, according to legend, ate a tomato in front of the New Jersey courthouse, shocking onlookers. Because at that time, people thought tomatoes were poisonous. Yeah, so he was like right out in front of this like crowd of onlookers. He just like bit into this tomato and ate it and was like, see, you big dumbasses. And uh, apparently a woman actually screamed and fainted at the sight of him eating a poisonous tomato. What was with people in the seventh, like the late 18th century? We, we had the same problem with top hats. <laughs> you see a big hat and it's like pandemonium breaks loose. Like it's a dude with a tomato. I wish this guy would show up and just eat one in front of my daughter, Margaret, because she doesn't like tomato sauce anymore. It's hard to make spaghetti at my house because she doesn't like tomatoes. But I don't know that she thinks that they're poisonous. <laughs> you know, don't think that we're any better now. There is plenty of cuckoo bananas BS that people buy right into because oh i read it on the internet i just heard one on a phone call on one of the shows that i listened to that was talking about a giant black snake that circles the planet jeff a giant black snake oh yes it's crazy time i'm gonna wonder like how this news because there's clearly there's no internet in 1750 or 1780 or 1810 or whatever so it would have been like well i heard from you know mrs hubbins 
down the road that her sister-in-law, you know, her sister-in-law, Mrs. Other Hubbins, <laughs> knows a friend who ate a tomato and she grew a third arm. Really? Wow. When did that happen? I'm not sure, but it was probably months ago and hundreds of miles from here. Wow. Sounds like gospel. And then it just goes from there. And pretty soon tomatoes make you crazy and, and are poisonous. I would have started the rumor that tomatoes are deadly the second I saw one of those freaking tomato worms. <laughs> I would have started the rumor that you're supposed to eat the worm first. Oh, bastard. <laughs> All right, before I throw up in my mouth, what do we got for the 24th? On July 24th, uh, 1982, American actress Elizabeth Moss is born. You may not recognize her name offhand, but she was in Mad Men. That was sort of her breakout role. She's also the star of uh, The Handmaid's Tale. Was recently in the Lee Wannell version of The Invisible Man, which I guess uh, got a tremendous amount of good press when it came out as far as being an effective and excellent retelling of the horror story. I, that, I just read, or did an audiobook anyway, of The Invisible Man from H.G. Wells. And that is one of, if not my favorite, of the Universal classic monster movies. I have not seen that remake, but my friend Tom was going on about it, saying it was super good. I really need to get to watch that. Yeah, the, the focus in the remake is on her. Like, it gives Holly Crippen a wife, yeah. right? He's a scientist. He's working on, like, invisibility technology, but she doesn't really understand it. And she wants out of the relationship, and she's she gets out, but she's convinced that he's following her around in, like, invisible clothes <laughs> and tormenting her. It's it's supposed to be awesome, so. And wrapping up the birthdays on July the 25th of 1930, a woman by the name of Mitzi Shore. Now, Mitzi Shore was the founder of her and her husband, Sammy Shore, founded the Comedy Store in Los Angeles. And famously, she's also the mother of Polly Shore. Oh. They actually have four kids. Uh, Polly's just one of them. Uh, one of the other brothers is like a director. But anyway, yeah, uh, the, the Comedy Store in Los Angeles, basically, if you were a comedian, you played there. And if you didn't play there, you didn't really succeed. That was like the place to, to play. Yep, but that's Mitzi Shore. She had a very, uh, a very distinctive voice. She talked. She had a very nasally voice. And uh, and Polly Shore definitely would not have got into show business without her. I've heard that. Well, good. Happy birthday, uh, Mitzi Shore. Uh, do you remember, like, uh, whenever comedy was real, like, stand-up comedy was really popular in the uh, the late 80s and early 90s, it seemed like every album concluded, like, they, they all had songs. you remember that? Right. Like, uh, Sam Kinison did the cover of Wild Thing. Polly Shore had a song called Lisa Lisa, which I don't know if you've ever heard it, but totally, dude, it is... The worst song ever. All right, Jeff, what do we got in the canon this week for the worst song ever? Uh, okay, this this week we go careening back to 1994 and the inescapableness of Batman Forever. Soul-wrenchingly bad. Uh, the song Kiss from a Rose by Seal. English sort of soul crooner guy. Yeah, Seal. Well, we have to sort of describe who he is now because he pretty much vanished from the pop charts after this song went nuclear and became like the soft rock, pop rock, adult contemporary, whatever, number one, and just blitzed the charts for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks uh, in advance of and during the run of the movie. Yeah, the song was originally released as a single from another movie soundtrack. It was on the soundtrack for the movie Never Ending Story Part 3. I think that came out direct to VHS. Yeah, which, right? you know, uh, guess what? I didn't even know that was a thing. I, <laughs> I, I knew there was a part two. I didn't have any idea there was a part three. 
So anyway, the song was on the soundtrack for Never Story Part 3 and released as a single. It charted, but like, I think it barely broke the top 100. I think it was like right. in the 80s somewhere. And then uh, your friend of mine, Joel Schumacher, heard the song and was like, I want to put this in my new Batman movie. <laughs> and then, well, let's, let's play the clip. Won't you tell me is that healthy, baby? But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become large and the light that you shine can't be seen? ubiquitous you could not get away from this song and it just i, I don't know like I, I i liked seal i liked seals previous two records i was a dj when his very first record came out yep. and his very first single hit called crazy which is a great great dance pop song and the whole album the whole album was great i, I remember working at the radio station with you and you play because this the the single of crazy was you know, pretty acoustic-y kind of a deal. Yep. But you played this, like, dance remix that was balls. That was awesome, yeah. It I was had a, really we had good. A, we, had a whole, we had a whole remix album of that, but yeah. one song. And uh, the one that I liked was was called the Adorno Strength Mix, and it was it was super great. Yep. And the song itself is really good in any format. It was one of those ones that it could be done in different styles and tempos and stuff, and it, it always seemed to work, especially with his voice. Let, let's get back to Kiss from a Rose, right? All right. <laughs> Yes. Uh, myself personally, I do not like this song. Okay, I never really did. Never. All right. Now, do you like this song? No, the song sucks. You know who else thinks this song sucks? Seal. <laughs> Seal does not like yeah. this song. Yeah. yeah. He re- he actually recorded the song like 1987, right? So seven years before his release as a single, he like wrote it, recorded it, and like threw it in the corner and didn't think anything of it. Right. And then, like I said, they use it for. Never in story three. Well, I, I wonder what the negotiation for that was like. Like, hey, Seal. Uh, yes. Oh, look, we've got this movie. It's we don't have a big budget, you know. Yeah, you know, Ed Wood, right? Uh, it's the third installment of the Neverending Story, which is like a kids movie that we made in. It's, it's not really popular on cable or anything. We're gonna put this one out direct to VHS. Do you have any like old music? We'd like to stick you in the credit sequence and he'd be like, you know what? I think so. Hold on. He moves a pile of old socks and there's a cat box there and he finds some beer cans and behind the beer cans there's a tape and he's like, here you go. Kiss from a rose. This kind of sucks, but you know what? 80 bucks and it's yours and off they go. <laughs> and then, you know, <laughs> Joel Schumacher calls it. He's like, hey, uh, I just watched The NeverEnding Story 3 <laughs> on VHS. I, I watched The Daily. This song slaps. And I need to put this in my... <laughs> $500 billion Batman movie and Seal is like, I'll never work in this town again. I'll sell you for $85. <laughs> I can't give you the rights. I sold them to the NeverEnding Story 3 for two taco gift certificates. Yeah, and then um, Seal, like after this song, just, I mean, he did a lot. I mean, he's got many, many, many more albums af- well, after okay. that. He has... He yeah he does he has a couple of live albums and a couple of greatest hits albums. No no yeah, he's got his first album came out in 1991 right and that is uh, Seal self titled and then yes. the next album the one with Kiss from a Rose on it is called oh wow look at that it's also called Seal 
<laughs> but it's oh yeah, it's like Peter Gabriel. Yeah. The name's off his solo records, Peter Gabriel. So you don't know what the hell you're listening right. to. So after that, he came out with it was Human Being. Then there was supposed to be another album called Togetherland, which never really officially saw the light of day. And then right. another album called Seal because he's into that, I guess. And then yeah, there was a lot of um, a lot of greatest hits and live albums uh, after that. But he's got a couple of other like new things. Yeah, yeah. But like, yeah, like that was like the last really you saw of him on the pop chart was that Kiss from a Rose song. You know, I'm sure he's like, well, you know, now I can do whatever I want. And it turns out whatever he wants was like to not have to do Kiss from a Rose again. Yeah. Because if you hear interviews with him, he's like, he sort of, you can see it in his eyes like that. At, people ask him about that song and he just dies a little bit more inside. <laughs> oh my God. Imagine going to see him live and you're like, hey, play Kiss from a Rose. He's like, go fuck yourself. He probably does it first. <laughs> like I'm just gonna do this. Like I, I was, um, I was reading an interview with the woman who does the song "A Thousand Ways" that was used in the movie White Chicks. I can't remember what her name is. Anyway, they use this song to great effect with Terry Crews. And when she she plays, she still plays out this lady and this woman. And she says, "I do that song first. I say, I literally tell people, I'm gonna get this out of the way now. I'm gonna play this now, and then I'm gonna do all these other songs instead." So she does it first. And gets it out of the way because she knows that the, uh, there's some percentage of people that have just come to see that song. And then she does the rest of her show, which I think is really funny. <laughs> if I was Seal, I would open up with like the orchestra playing. You know, that would be like my walk out on stage music and then never deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, you have it on as people are filing in just yeah. the recording of it. And then you don't play it. Yeah. And you uh, call it the Kiss from a Rose tour. All right, before we wrap up the show, let's get back to our trivia question. All right, so the question was, there are 50 capitals to 50 states in the United States, and all of them have a McDonald's within their city borders, except for one. Which state capital does not have a McDonald's in it? I am going to go out on a limb, and I'm going to argue that the state capital that has no McDonald's within its city limits is Montpelier, Vermont. Ding, 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 ding. No more callers, please. We have a winner. Oh, my God. I got it. Out of a, yeah, a one in 50 chance of guessing. And you, well, not really, because you know damn well, you know damn well there's a boss, there's a McDonald's in Boston. But yeah, Montpelier, Vermont does not have a McDonald's in it. Okay. So the rationale for me picking that state was it's very small. The capital only has like 10,000 people in it. Okay. And the capital in the state that I live in, in New Hampshire, is Concord, and I work there. So I'm there every week. Yep. There's a McDonald's in there, and it only has like 15,000 people. But the McDonald's in Concord is almost out of city limits just by virtue of how small the city is. Okay. So I'm, I tried to put two and two together and think it's probably New England state, and it's probably Vermont because of the population size. Whatever. Yes! I was, what do I win? What nothing. Whatever I was looking it up, I would not have guessed Montpelier, Vermont, simply because I didn't know the capital of Vermont off the top of my head. Ah. <laughs> yeah, my guess would have been Carson City, less uh, Carson City, Nevada. That would have that would have been my guess, but nope, Montpelier, Vermont. Yep. All right, but that's gonna wrap up the show. We will see you right back here at approximately seven days. All right, say good night, Jeff. Good night, Jeff. All right, bye, bye guys. Special thanks to James Costa for our theme music. Thank you so much for listening to Twibley. This week was way better last year. 
You can follow and or message us over on Instagram or on Facebook at T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Make sure you tell your friends if you like our show. And if you don't like our show, tell your friends you did like it. It'll be a great prank you can play on them. Have a good week, guys.